Hello, and welcome to the Music Teacher Coffee Talk podcast. I'm Carrie. And I'm Tanya. We're both elementary music teachers who love to talk shop, preferably over a steaming cup of coffee. This is episode 72. Today, we are finishing up our summer book club by discussing chapter seven and our final takeaways from music education and social emotional learning, The Heart of Teaching Music by Scott and Edgar. We'll also share some ideas in a segment we're calling Know Better, Do Better. And in our CODA section, we'll give some specific recommendations of our favorite things in and out of the music room. So grab your beverage of choice and let's get started. So now it's time for our main theme, and today we are finishing up our 2020 Summer Book Club. We read Music Education and Social Emotional Learning, The Heart of Teaching Music by Scott and Edgar. And in this episode, we're focusing on the last chapter, Chapter 7. There's a brief conclusion, and then we'll just kind of talk about our final thoughts and takeaways, and especially applying them towards this wacko school year that we're going into, the 2020-2021 school year if you're listening to this way in the future, where um, social emotional learning is extra important. So we're gonna definitely be talking about how we are right now, as of this moment, planning on incorporating some of these skills into online, hybrid, and socially distant learning. Right, Right. yes. Um, There's so much in this book that is wonderful to take into your classroom or take into an online environment with some specific activities. And this chapter also has many activities and it's focusing on goal three, music education classroom activities. Um, Goal three is decision-making, like helping students learn how to make good decisions and not be ruled by their emotions when they're making decisions and activities for them to really focus on that skill of making good decisions. Yeah, can I read a quote that I really like? Um, Please, yes. On page 147, it says, good decisions do not happen by accident or simply because, quote, they're a good kid, end quote. They happen because the decision maker is able to assess the situation, envision multiple situations creatively, and predict potential consequences. So it goes back to, you know, a skill is something, what's that thing you always say, Tanya? A skill is something that's, you always, you have a thing that you always say. That's so good. Um, modeled, learned, and practiced? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> modeled, learned, and practiced. And that making, you know, good. Modeled, taught, and practice. It's that too. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That thing. That thing that you say. That thing. Yeah. Um, I, I totally resonate with that. Uh, a little bit further up on the page, uh, I highlighted anger or frustration is often the first reaction when students make bad decisions. However, often they simply have neither been taught nor had the opportunity to practice making good decisions. And I think you could say that for anybody, not just children. Uh huh. I mean, I'm thinking about me specifically, um, you know, and being frustrated when decisions were not made well. But, yeah, it is all about practicing those skills. So shall we dive into some of these activities that have us practicing those skills? Yeah. And I will be honest. Um... I did not find a lot of specific activities that I felt lent themselves well to elementary in this particular chapter. I totally concur because, yeah, some of these did seem like it required a little bit more advanced thought process than what we can, than what we should expect of the younger set, but some of this can be adapted. and. Also, some of these activities, and we'll get into it, I was a little, it was a, they were a little foggy to me on exactly how you would execute them in the classroom. Yeah, they, I didn't feel like the, the examples given were as specific as the ones given in previous chapters. Um, not to say that we couldn't come up with things and still use, you know, this as inspiration, but I didn't walk away from this chapter like I did some of the others with like, oh yeah, that's a specific activity I can plan like immediately. It, right. it just cause a little, it'll, it'll require a little bit more thought um, and creativity on our part, which we totally. do, right? <laughs> creativity? No, no. Yes, of course. Um, So when we're talking about decisions, I'm looking here at the learning standards. Uh, Consider ethical 
safety and societal factors in making decisions. Wow, that is huge for any community, especially a school community. And when I look at that, I'm thinking about um, the societal factors and how it translates translates online mm-hmm. um, and how that might need to be drawn out by a teacher more so because it's not going to be as evident um, how your online society is functioning, even if you're online just for a little while. Um, apply decision-making skills to deal responsibly with daily, daily academic and social situations. Contribute to the well-being of school and community. So those are the learning standards. Yeah, and I feel like this, like all the other, you know, stand the other two standards and just the general ideas. A lot of this is going to be driven by your school community. You're not just going to be the rogue music teacher who just goes off and implements all this stuff on your own. It won't work that way. So I feel like you can be an advocate for, for SEL in your school if it's not already there. But I feel like if you're working on an island as a music teacher, especially with how often we see our kids in the elementary world, I think it has to be woven into um, the systemic things that are going on school-wide. Yeah, for sure. Yes. Um, as I look at the student skills, uh, the student skill set, some of these I wonder about. Um, and maybe maybe it's because I'm wondering about elementary s- students specifically. So I'm going to read off some of these skills. Promote one's own health. Avoid risky behaviors. That one I'm kind of like, I don't, I mean, not that I think children should in, indulge in, in in risky behaviors, but um, it seems like that's developmentally something that'll come with the high school students more so than the elementary school's kids, right? right. Risky beha- I guess it depends on what kind of risk you're talking about. Um, these days, it's taking off your mask, right? Yeah, I mean, I feel like the most risky behaviors I see, uh, you know, in a normal teaching situation is like, when I'm on playground duty and there's kids sitting on top of the monkey bars kind of a thing. So yeah, our risky behaviors. I mean, not that we haven't had issues with, you know, substance abuse and stuff with upper elementary kids. We certainly have. And it's not like we should be naive to say, Oh, kids don't know about that stuff when I do, but yeah, this is just obviously take everything with a grain of salt um, as far as elementary versus secondary. Yes. Um, I'm, some of these others uh, deal honestly and fairly with others contribute to the good of one's classroom, school, family, community environment, generate alternative solutions, anticipate the consequences, evaluate and learn from one's decision-making, identify problems, analyze situations, solve problems, evaluate and reflect, take personal, moral, and ethical responsibility, plan realistic and adaptive response strategies. Okay. So as I'm reading through what keeps coming through my mind is um, is there an objective, um, ethical viewpoint? Is there an objective moral viewpoint? Like, are we putting upon students? And I'm, I'm just, I don't know. I'm just trying to see it from this wider view of we have so many different students from so many different backgrounds who says what's moral? Who says what's ethical exactly? Right? Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank to come up with a relevant example for like in. I've got an example. Swearing. Cool, do it. Swearing. swearing. When yeah. I started teaching, I was just appalled if a kid would swear in class and I would get on my moral high ground and all this stuff. Um, and the longer I've been teaching, particularly teaching in, you know, challenging populations of various ways, um, you know, when it's just a common used word coming from a, a, a student's household and they don't realize that it's a problem, you know, who am I to say, you know, this word is good or bad. I've come more to the conclusion, and I do this with my own children as well about swearing, it's it's more about how the word is used than the word itself. Are you using the word to cause harm to somebody else or are you just explaining, oh, you know, shoot, but the other word because you dropped your pencil. Like I've had kids do both things in my classroom, like use the word harmful and just use the word in a reactionary way. And I have learned that over the years that, you know, it's not my moral decision or ethical decision whether the word should be used. It's more about helping students understand 
why they're using it and is there a better decision or a different decision not even better just a different decision they might make for a school situation that is a great that is a really good example because i think i've also changed my views on that especially since my language has gotten a lot spicier in the past um few months uh, yeah, I, I agree. It depends on how the word's being used. And I, I mean, if it was a, a habitual thing, maybe because of how the school community views it, you know, then it might have to be dealt with, with talking to parents. Like your, your kid says the F word every three words. That, that would be an issue just because we do have like a, a general expectation in public settings that we do don't say that every three words that being said like my high school son says his teacher's curse right yeah right so i mean maybe i'm just so out of i maybe i don't really understand what that what what is the litmus test for that i don't know what it is anymore well, something that I kept coming back to, you know, in this book that I, I appreciated the reminder is when it comes to decision making, I'm just going to quote it, what it says, again, I'm on page 147. I like this page. As adults, teachers and music teachers, we are fixers. We like to fix things musically, interpersonally, and in our own and others' lives. Students need the opportunity to fix things on their own. So I kept coming back to this overarching arching theme in this chapter but about this whole book is that students need to take ownership of it and then if if those decisions are not coming from them they're not going to be valid to the students it's not going to be a a worthwhile activity so when it comes to you know even the swearing decision it's it's not for me to say no bad don't do it it's about me presenting some options and saying hey have you considered this instead of this and that goes for any decisions is that it really has to come back to the students and that we as teachers especially in elementary we need to model that and we need to maybe offer them solutions because them coming up with the solutions on their own depending on the age and developmental level of the student might be difficult but modeling that process of decision making um, is what's important rather than saying this is good this is bad and me making those ethical decisions yeah I I, yes I agree Um, one thing about that modeling decision making how exactly does that go down in a music context in a music room in you know an appropriate amount of time I mean, I guess now we look at the activities that are here, right? right. So if I look at um, this, so what's the problem activity? And I had a question mark in the margins here for this on page 150. So this activity is, so what's the problem? And it talks about the end goal of SEL is a, is proactive prevention of destructive thinking and behavior. Okay. And again, I would say, I, I mean... Who's to say exactly what's destructive? Thinking and behavior, I mean, there are some clear-cut, you know, things that most everyone would agree is destructive thinking and behavior, but then other things, I don't know, it just, I think you have to take everything in context. Okay, so and then he goes on to say, one of my favorite activities to do on the first day of a new school year is a pet peeve share. The teacher starts and calmly states pet peeves that annoy them. Students then have the same opportunity to state state what annoys them about teachers. This gives students and the teachers alike the opportunity to own their own classroom biases and sets a tone for trust. This proactive approach also hopefully encourages all parties in the classroom to avoid the behaviors that annoy others. I put that big old question mark there because I see that backfiring. I was thinking specifically about my middle schoolers from this last school year. And and not to say that I think that they're particularly, um, they, they're not outlier middle schoolers. I considered them very, you know, average in their behavior and in their just dated, their interactions, um, middle schoolers. And I think that if I would have started the year with this pet peeve share activity, that would have gone badly quickly. Yeah. I could be wrong because I didn't do it. I had but... thought, I, th- I think in my mind, I thought this would probably only work in my opinion 
with a group of kids that you already knew. So like the idea of doing this on the first day of school, I thought was a little surprising, but I thought, well, okay, if you've been the music teacher at an elementary school and these are your fifth graders, let's say, and you've really had, you know, you don't have a big transient population. You've really had the same core group of kids for a long time and they already know you pretty well and you already know them. Maybe this kind of thing could work. I, I can't imagine doing this with a new school population or a new group of kids or even in a highly transient population because because, yeah, I mean, to me, it just feels negative, I guess. I mean, I guess yeah. that is being proactive, but it's like, I don't like this. I don't like that rather than like, hey, let's try this. Yeah, I don't know. Well, and then I think when you look at this activity, there has to be trust there from all participants and there has to be relationship there. I, I mean, I would think maybe high school students could take it in stride and could be responsible and be authentic about it from the get-go. But if I walked into a brand new school with middle schoolers, hi, I'm Miss Lejeune, let's talk about our pet peeves, they'd be like, I don't like older women who dress in whatever it is you have on. Like, I mean, I'm just, I'm just guessing here, but... It wouldn't be something that I, I don't like the negativity either. So that's one thing. And then what, something I keep coming back to throughout this whole book is the trust building that has to happen and the relationship building that has to happen. And I understand that this is geared towards high school and that if you have kids in band or orchestra and choir, they have chosen to be there and they are probably hanging out during their lunches and their reset or whatever they call it these days. They're, they're off hours. They're hanging out. They want to be there. They spend a lot, of, a lot of extra time in rehearsals or marching or whatever it is. And it's very different when you see 400 kids over a week. And so what I, and I, I need to go and find more on my own. You know, what I would appreciate is like a chapter of trust building activities, a chapter of relationship building activities that are also musical. Like that would be a wonderful thing to see in here that you could apply to general music in the elementary mu music room yeah yeah totally and you know of course my brain defaults to well in normal times those are our natural singing games but maybe you just take a little bit further you know like mm -hmm. the beginning of the year if you're always playing jump in jump out turn yourself about where kids are like sharing their name and something they like then maybe after that activity they sit in small groups or you sit in a whole group and you do like an actual circle where you pass a talking piece and you like take it further you know right exactly um, but you I mean you said it just a minute ago like it's all about time and it's so hard when we see so many students you know to to find the time but we always say at the beginning of the year those relationship building activities they're always worth it in the end because if you have a solid relationship that curbs a lot of behavioral issues down the road. Well, and plus they'll, that's when they're going to, that's when they're going to be engaged. That's when they're going to learn and that's when they're going to really enjoy making music. And this year, especially, wow. I mean, we're all going through trauma, even if we don't understand that right now. And if there was ever a time to shout Maslow before blooms, this would be it. I'm going to be a lot less concerned about where my kids are within my music curriculum and a lot more in tune with what do they need emotionally like and how can I provide that musically and just, you know, as someone in their lives. Yeah, totally. Um, can we skip ahead to... Um, grandma said count to 10. Can we talk about that one? Yeah, we can talk about that one. I thought that one was a little confusing because I didn't know where we were going with that. Um, <laughs> it, the general idea is, well, my grandma says count to 10 when you're upset, you know, just, just taking a moment to, to deescalate. And, 
you know, my, my, one of my former principals, they call that a, a meta moment, you know, like before you react, before you speak, even as a teacher, well, especially as a teacher, if a kid is really getting on your last nerve before you go to that reactionary state, take that meta moment, really think about what's going on. And that will help you maybe see a different decision that you maybe could make. I guess to me, what I thought, and I wanted to talk to you about this, Tanya, is this, this to me is, is mindfulness, right? Exactly. Yes. That's exactly what I was going to say. It is yeah, it is like mindfulness because after practicing mindfulness consistently, the one th- one benefit is that you are able to take a step back and to look at things objectively and not let your emotions drive your extreme reactions. However, this is hard. Um, and I'm not saying it's not worth doing, but I don't know if you've... I'm thinking of my children and I'm thinking of me. I don't know if if you've ever been in a moment with a a kid who is extremely upset and is really in their feelings. The last thing that they want to hear from you is to like take three big breaths. I mean, you can ask my daughter because um, (laughs) she meditates with me often and it's still very hard to get her to like really stop and take three big breaths when she's in those feelings. And honestly, I've had moments where I've been in my feelings and I know exactly what I should do and I just can't do it. I can't go there, even though I can tell myself. So I'm not discounting this activity at all. Um, I just think we need to be realistic and then maybe make sure there's some mindfulness connected that's that's habitual before you rely on this to work right yeah I mean to me it's like having those 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 tools that I've learned from you like the mindful bottles I think young children well all ages of children really and adults we benefit from having something visual or physical right to go with those things so like my go-to with my own daughter when she's getting upset and I've done it a lot in class is the whole take five thing you know you go up and down fingers and you breathe with that shaking mindful bottles and trying to match your breathing to to calming as the as the glitter falls to me I I think always having a visual or physical thing is is really helpful besides just telling a kid take some deep breaths and count backwards from 10 like take this mindful bottle shake it up go to the calming corner or whatever you've got set up in your room join us when you're ready kind of a thing yeah 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 and that's just adjusting it for a different age group, definitely adding visuals is good. Um, and I did like the part about writing a tweet um, and write down the situation so they can just articulate it and get it out there without getting wrapped up in unnecessary details, just write the gist of what's going on. And that's something that I've used and I've seen other teachers use too, is like, okay, this whole situation that you, you want to tell me, like, all the people that were involved and everything that went down on the playground, why don't you just sit down and write some big thoughts of what happened? And that also de-escalates. So, um, yeah, I, I'm looking at the bottom of the page where it says, the goal is to facilitate calm, rational conflict resolution. The act of making music can serve as an effective refocusing, de-escalating activity in itself. And then I was like, oh, cool, let's let's look into that. But it didn't. he didn't go there. Yeah, I just don't think there's a lot of, like I said, concrete examples. But I will say, we said in the last episode... If you're looking for more mindfulness in the music room, we have a an oldie episode that Tanya did with, I'm, I'm going to say Ellie's name wrong again. Ellie Wolf, Dr. Ellie Wolf. Um, Tanya's friend and colleague. Um, I was out for that one. So anyways, if you're looking for some concrete ideas for mindfulness that ties into this idea, definitely we'll link to that episode. Yeah. And there's so many wonderful ideas everywhere. Um, and this is definitely things that you can take online. I was thinking of making some videos, um, that could be used for there. Um, the next activity, although again, I mean, maybe it's just the idea. This doesn't seem like necessarily activities. They seem more like techniques. I don't know. I'm going, I'm thinking too deeply, maybe equal and opposite reaction. Um, to me, I mean, what I, my takeaway from this was it was talking about um, the difference between like 
a punishment and a consequence. And I wrote in the margin, like RJ, restorative justice, because this reminds me a lot of that training that, that I've had and you've had, Tanya, where, um, the, where the student gets to, with help from the teacher, brainstorm consequences that are appropriate for the situation. Um, what do you think about that, Tanya? <laughs> Well, I mean, it, it is a very much like restorative justice. And I, I mean, something that that might be useful is, well, the thing is, the thing has to happen before you talk about the consequences, right? Or is it something, would it be worthwhile sitting down with a class and saying, all right, suppose someone um, does this action, this, this, this could happen. What do you think an appropriate consequence would be? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Kind of what he was getting at with the activity he was talking about, you know, complete the story activities where the students basically are predicting what's going to happen next um, in either real life or fictitious situations. And he talked about, you know, some musical examples or musical theater examples where they're trying to figure out what happens next in the plot. But yeah, I definitely see this being a part of kind of your beginning of the year, establishing your norms and procedures, you know, hopefully with your students in some way. We've talked about that before in some of our past episodes about, you know, having students help establish those norms, but then helping them, you know, not establishing the consequences, because the whole point of the consequences is that it has to match whatever happened. But like you said, coming up with some scenarios, I can see some, some benefit in that, especially if you're pulling out some things that happen often, like students arguing over one specific instrument or yeah. partners for a game when we're allowed to do that again <laughs> or a dance you know um i can see the benefit of that i i wouldn't go into it too much though because again it's about the time but well can you help me out here and i'm gonna embarrass myself because maybe it's completely obvious and i'm just not i'm just blocked about it okay so Attached to this equal and opposite reaction, attached to this understanding of consequences versus punishment, we have this complete the story bit on page 159, where so there's a setup of a, of a story, and then a cliffhanger, and then ask students what happens next. Okay, so an example is Beethoven was a great composer. Cliffhanger, Beethoven went completely deaf by age 53. Predict what happens next. Okay. So Beethoven going deaf is not a behavior that deserves a, it, it, it didn't, as far as we know, it didn't come from a behavior, a negative or a positive behavior from Beethoven. What, what's the connection here between this complete the story things and understanding consequences versus punishments? Yeah, I thought that that was a bit of a weak example as well. The best thing I could come up with was well, okay, so what's Beethoven's choice? Does he quit music altogether and say, forget it, I'm going to go be a hermit and live in the woods for the rest of my life? Or do I- Oh, so we're maybe talking about like the things that lead up to perhaps a poor choice. Is that what we're doing? Well, or what do you do? I mean, this to me is more dealing with a challenge than a choice, but I guess to me it's, okay, what what can Beethoven do? Can he still continue to make music and how, how can he turn this challenge into a, into a, um, I don't know, a strength. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a weird week. Well, I I mean, it's part of the responsible decision-making, I guess, is that, uh, I don't know. I'm think I'm overthinking it. It matters not. Um, It's worth understanding that decision-making is also a skill. Right. But okay. I think, I mean, I, I think, I think overall the, throughout the book, there is an attempt to, with these activities, come up with examples that are really strictly focused on SEL and, and behaviors and community, but then also applying to music. And maybe this one just didn't translate so well into the music side of it is, is my feeling about it, but. All right. I'm willing to let it go. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but speaking of decision-making, maybe we should talk about the group decision-making because we have things to say, right, about this group decision-making? Yeah, so this is on page 161. And of course, to me, this this really sums up what happens often in a restorative circle, um, you know, a restorative circle that you would do whole group 
um, to actually restore something that's been going on in the classroom, some sort of problem. Um, I mean, I guess it could also be considered a proactive circle where everyone is is either sharing, you know, proactive things to help this the, the class run well or sharing ideas to, to deal with the situation. Um, it, it outlines four possible steps. I mean, it didn't say that these are the steps that you have to take. It just says an example of procedures. But basically, number one, everyone listens to whatever the speaker's saying. Number two, everyone must share. We'll come back to that. Number three, no interrupting. And number four, respect. And I think both okay. and I, yeah. Tanya, took a little bit of issue with number two, because specifically in my restorative justice training, we were taught that when you were doing a circle, and this is something I've done in practice, that students don't always have to share. I mean, to, to force a student to share when they don't want to doesn't feel very um, reactive to each individual's social. It, it doesn't bond you to those other people either. No. Now, no. issues when I've done a circle where I've had the majority of the kids just pass, 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 and they don't want to share. And then to me, I need to reflect as a teacher of what about this prompt is making them feel like they don't want to share or larger, what about the trust has broken down between me and this class? I had one particular fifth grade class last year that this was an issue, that there was just no trust. They had no trust in me and it was, it was difficult to repair. And I don't know that we ever got there. Um, and there was a variety of factors. I take responsibility for some of them, obviously, but a lot of things were also out of my control. But anyways, what am I going with this? Um, that you have to be aware if you do have students who aren't wanting to share, but then that's not the fault of the students. You have to look at yourself as a teacher and say, what am I not doing right in this situation? And it's also worth saying that it's not the fault of the teacher necessarily either. You kind of have to diagnose in the moment what's going on because I've, I've had situations where many kids won't share after one particularly popular kid won't share. Like I've seen that and that is a wanting acceptance from this one individual type of thing, right? Yep. So, and I think that has less to do with, well, it has something to do with me as the teacher because um, I haven't gotten that kid to com comply with what, what's going on for whatever reason. But yeah, so there's all kinds of reasons that kids might not share. And I mean, you and I, we are grown people. And I didn't curse there, but, you know, we are grownups and I have times even on Zoom me meetings where I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I, I didn't sleep well. And like my, my kid is in the other room making noises and I seriously do not want to talk about fill in the blank right now. And I just want to turn off my camera and disappear. And we're all human. And us adults, when we do those kind of things, we're easy on each other. And we're like, oh, yeah, I've been there. I get it. Why wouldn't we do that for the students, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to say this is something I disagree with, a particular step that I disagree with. I don't think that that makes the whole activity of group decision making. There's still, I mean, there are many times we do group decision making, but I definitely would never, I would never force every single student to share. There's always, whenever I'm doing any sort of circle activity or group sharing activity, it's, you know, you have the opportunity to pass. The important thing is if you are doing like a circle, like a pass the talking piece kind of circle, um, once you've gone all the way around and everyone has had the opportunity to speak, you give kids who passed the opportunity to speak because maybe something sparked and that has happened. Um, where, oh, well now I have something to say based on something somebody else said that you give them the opportunity to speak later. I think that's the important part, but never force. Yes, I totally agree. Um, and then these guidelines that we were talking about, the last one, respect, that is a tricky thing because what does respect look like and how is that different for every kid and how is it different for every teacher? And how is it different depending on the situation? Respect is going to look a lot different on your Zoom call than in your classroom. And it's going to look a lot different in your classroom where you have a circle of kids who can face each other and in your classroom of kids sitting at desks facing all one direction with masks on. So I think maybe a good activity somewhere in the beginning of the school year 
especially with like fourth graders, fifth graders, sixth graders on up would be what do you consider respect? Yeah. How are you could have them do a sentence stem of I feel respected when, or, you know, maybe even I feel disrespected when this thing's happening. You know, like, I think that would be worth doing is understanding what your students see as being respectful. And it, I, I mean, I would expect that it would be something that we could all live with, right? I, I can't imagine, well, I mean, who knows, but I can't imagine a kid being asked, what is respect? What is it for you? How do you feel respected? I can't imagine them doing anything, saying anything that would be beyond something that's reasonable. Totally. Yeah. And so, yeah, with this respect part, and I, this is where I feel that uh, pushing up against the whole, um, are we being socially just, right? Yeah. It's going to look different for different groups of people with different backgrounds, and we want to be aware of that. I mean, of course, in a classroom, there are some things that we have to agree upon in order for us to really learn. Who makes those decisions? It should be everybody, right? Exactly. Yeah, I think that's it right there. You know, having group norms is totally normal. I mean, that's that's what we do as a society, but it's who establishes those group norms. That if it's coming from one person, especially the person who holds the, you know, power, quote unquote, you know, that's that's not group norms. That's not what it is. Well, and then just just to take it a little bit further, what does that look like in a kindergarten classroom? Mm-hmm. <laughs> What do you think? I mean, kindergartners, can they have a say about what they feel is, is fair and respectful? Good question. I mean, yes. Yes. I think um, I haven't specifically done any sort of thing like that with kindergarten. Other than, I think for me, it's a lot modeled through taking turns when we're doing games and activities and sharing. I think that turns into our conversation about respect. Like when one student is singing a solo, how do we be good listeners? So I do have that conversation with them. Mm -hmm. Um, I usually provide a lot of the answers, but I allow them to give ideas too. Um, so I think, yeah, now that I'm thinking back on what, what does early kindergarten look like, it feels like it's been so long since I've taught beginning of the year kindergarten. Um, it really is modeled through taking turns and sharing. Yeah. 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 I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. Cause I think that they, they should have some say. Um, and then we also know that like first month of kindergartens the wild wild west and you know they they do need more guidance right sure but i definitely know a lot of primary teachers kindergarten teachers who have implemented restorative you know proactive circles every single day their kids know how to pass a talking piece and they know how to take turns and they they started from day one and the first couple days are not easy and then it gets better and better and better um so I think in the case of an elementary music teacher, I think it would definitely be worth it to talk to your classroom teachers in those situations. Because again, if you're trying to implement those kind of activities in your classroom and they don't do them in their regular classroom, that might be a challenge. But if you know that they're doing those types of activities already in their classroom and you can just tap into that, that's a great opportunity, right? Yep. I think to me, it always comes back to in the past, you know, I'm definitely being forced into a new mindset of this now, but I just want to get to the music. I want to get to the music. I want to get to the music. And I want, I want the students to feel like when they come in my room, we're in this magical play music land that's so different. And I don't want there to be a lot of talking from them or from me. I want it to be music, 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 right? And that's been drilled into us so much that I, I don't want to get away from that too much, but I do see the value in giving students more choice and voice even yes. at a younger age you can have the music 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 in april 2022 oh 22. oh good okay <laughs> when we can come out of this whole thing yeah yeah well are we ready to talk about kind of final takeaways then 
Yes, we can talk about final takeaways. Um, I bought the workbook because, you know, I'm, I'm happy to have someone else's PDFs that I can buy, not PDFs, but, you know, paper worksheets that I can turn into PDFs and throw out there um, on Google Slides for my students that I don't have to create. So, yeah, so there are some activities that I definitely will be using. We both talked about uh, using the soundtrack of my life activity. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely doing that. Even in my new school community, I'm just going to really like, I'm, I don't know. I'm going to word it, I guess, in a way where, and, and just to back up, this is an activity where students, um, they offer some, some songs that are meaningful to them or feel are representative to them in different stages of their life. But I'm definitely going to pose it to the students in a way that maybe doesn't feel like super like personal in a way. I don't know that how to explain what I'm trying to say, but tell me your innermost feelings through song right now. That's not going to be realistic in a brand new school community because I'm going to be starting, you know, one third of my, my teaching job is going to be in a new school and with new students. So I want to come up with ways to connect with them and bond with them through music. And I think that's a great idea, but I also want to be realistic that it's not going to be super, super deep when I don't know them in a physical way at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what other activities are you drawn to that you think you'd really use? Oh gosh, you're putting me on the spot, Tanya. I'm sorry. Um, I liked a lot of the idea of like identifying emotions in music. This is something that I definitely feel like I haven't done enough of, um, you know, other than, you know, I would do uh, oftentimes listening journals and I had like emoji type faces. This was even before emojis was a thing, really, you know, different, different uni faces where the kids can circle, you know, at a young age, this piece makes me feel this way. Um, So I like the idea of, you know, using that with students and really tapping more because I feel like when I don't have enough time with my students, it always goes back to the Kodai concepts and wanting to make sure they know all their ticka-tickas and their their solfege and, and, you know, the literacy skills come first. And I'm really forcing myself to reevaluate that right now for a variety of reasons and really Mm -hmm. thinking about getting into more of the emotional aspects of music and not just classical music, not just Western European music, but all music and um, valuing um, the types of music that they listen to at home that I'm not as familiar with and really bringing that into the mix, but really kind of getting to the heart of like, why music? Like, what is it about music as human beings? How do we connect with music? Because it ain't Ta and Titi, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) first I mean and kids get excited about reading and writing music I mean I have students who get super jazzed about notation and that's great but that that just can't be it for for them or for me so I'm definitely going to do a lot more stuff with emotions and music and listening activities yep same here same here um I also wanted to throw out both Tanya and I watched it um uh, Scott Edgar has done a couple of webinars for NAFME, and they are still up and free. Um, there's a whole slew of wonderful um, webinars that are free um, through NAFME that are specifically for COVID times. So they started back in the spring, and they've continued through the summer. I'm not sure how many more they're going to keep doing, but we'll link to that page. But specifically, I watched the most recent one um, entitled Music Education and SEL During COVID-19, Resiliency and Empathy Now More Than Ever. And yes. It was a great presentation, just about an hour long, super short um, and easy to digest. And it really talked a lot, a lot about what's being talked about in the book, but he highlighted some of the specific activities and ideas that really can serve in an online learning environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, that was a really good talk because he did give some, some really concrete ways of how things can work online. And, and we need to keep coming back to that because that's our reality now. Yep. So um, final thoughts, worth it to read? I would say yes. Just yes. Um, definitely with uh, keeping in mind that 
it, it without a doubt is written from the secondary lens specifically it feels very banned to me <laughs> but um but that doesn't mean there aren't ideas to be taken he talked a lot about this in the webinar and i appreciated it the idea of you know mr rogers and how mr rogers would take these really big big ideas and he wouldn't take away the big emotions and the big feelings behind these ideas but he would pose it to children in a way that it was digestible. And I think that's what we as elementary music teachers have to do. It doesn't mean we say to our students, how are you feeling today? Happy or sad? Like we can give them a range of emotions and we can give them some of these big ideas that they're, that they're feeling too and validate those feelings, but in a way that's developmentally appropriate. So when reading this book and, and listening to Dr. Edgar speak, I think I just had to kind of keep putting on my, my elementary hat in doing that. Yeah. yeah, and we're used to doing that, and it works. Yep. Totally. So I would totally recommend this book, and in general, social-emotional learning, and um, the organization Castle is mentioned quite a bit in the webinar and in this book, and I have perused the website, and there are some great resources, uh, and I'm, I'm blanking on what the acronym stands for, Castle. It's C-A-S-E-L- well, the SEL is the social emotional learning piece. And what's the CA? I don't know. Carrie's going to tell us any second now because she's looking and I'm not. Hang on. Um, I can find it fast enough. So but link. We'll link to it. In we will link to it so you can go and, yeah, find out all those wonderful activities and things that you can do with your students. So please let us know if you have any additional questions. Uh, about the book or if there's anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to hear more about. Um, but this is the end of us um, discussing this book formally. I'm sure we're going to revisit, though, our own experiences as we take some of this into our classrooms. Totally. And now it's time for our new-ish segment called Know Better, Do Better, in which we uh, look at some of our practices and song literature and all kinds of things and see um, what we could do better. Yeah. And Carrie has some songs to talk about. Yeah. I'm yeah. About the songs that are known widely to elementary music teachers. Um, my Paddles, Keen and Bright, otherwise known as the Canoe Song, as well as Land of the Silver Birch. These songs are often taught as partner songs. They're often used in the Kodai-inspired world with the uh, Cinco Pa or Tita Ti um, concept. Um, I've, I had used them for years, favorite of the students. They just enjoy singing them, um, adding ostinati to them blah, 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 blah. Now, I think what makes these songs different than maybe some of the other things we've talked about as far as knowing better and doing better is this falls onto the, under the umbrella of cultural appropriation. Mm -hmm. That there's nothing specific about these songs that you would look at them and say, this is problematic. They're not like from the minstrel tradition. There's no racial slurs. Now, I think the big issue is authenticity when we talk about these types of songs. When I first learned these songs, I knew that they weren't authentic Native American songs. Um, however, I still continue to teach them to my students. And I would say specifically to my students that these songs are not authentic Native American songs. These songs were written in the style of Native American music. And then leave it at that, thinking, okay, that makes this okay. Um, and what I was, was, what was shared with me actually pretty much a year ago this summer was a video by Michelle McCulley, who's from the Paiute tribe. And she is a uh, contributor to Decolonizing the Music Room. And she put up a video specifically about these songs um, that I will link to in the show notes. And what I understood better after watching this video is that even saying to my students that these are camp songs written in the style of Native American music is still perpetuating this stereotype that comes from she she references this idea of these musical elements that we have 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 this stereotypical indigenous native american sound really were um brought to our 
American society through like old westerns and things like that. And that really the musical elements and when I say to my students in the style of Native American music, it's just stereotypes. There, there's nothing true to that. There, I don't, I don't know enough about Native American music. And then even to say Native American music is a problem in itself, the same way saying that a song is African, you know, African style music, that there are so many tribes, there are so many styles, there are so many communities, and that if I haven't taken the time to immerse myself, speak to culture bearers, I have no business saying in the style of Native American music, like that phrase in itself is problematic. So I just really want to stress the idea of, um, you know, what cultural appropriation is, and there's, um, lots of articles and there's lots of stuff and I'm really still diving into this big topic because it is daunting and it is problematic within music education especially that you know so many songs um, choral arrangements lots of songs that are passed down as folk songs are not really folk songs of that specific folk (laughs) that they're written in the style of dot 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 and so I think the best way to understand this more so than listening to me is to listen to Michelle talk about it herself so I will link to that video there's another video that I found really helpful um kind of along the same line she did a video about um teaching about Thanksgiving um and this really is the lens of all teachers um elementary teachers especially but I think there's a lot of things that can be applied to the music room as well you know even just the fact that I would focus on Native American quote unquote songs or style songs around Thanksgiving. Why was I doing that even? And just, you know, going back to this old tradition of, you know, elementary schools of pilgrims and Indians and dressing up at Thanksgiving with, you know, I remember as a kid getting those, you know, paper grocery sacks and turning them into like vests and making fake feather headbands and oh, all of these things that I just cringe, cringe, cringe now thinking of myself as a child doing or perpetuating in my music room. Well, yes. Um, Speaking of someone who is older than you. (laughs) Wow. Um, Yeah, because I was in elementary school hold on to your hat, in the 70s. Yeah. And yes, definitely all of those things happened. And um, wow, yeah. But yeah. happening, I mean, and that's the thing that I need, we have to stop. I mean, I, I, I mean, some of the things that I am just appalled in myself to even say that I did. So like the art teacher at one of my schools, she would have the kids make these headbands and then they would come in my room and we would sing my paddle and these things. And we would have a, oh gosh, I'm, I'm horrified to say we would, I would talk to students about like powwows. Now I did spend a very small one week amount of time in my high school um, in the Lakota Sioux tribe. And I did get to attend as a visitor, a public powwow. So, I mean, I, I, I do not know enough to ever say anything to my students about that, but I mean, I do know some of the, the, the respect issues, like we weren't supposed to take pictures or videos and, you know, there were lots of different things that they taught us, but that by no means made me an expert or someone who should be doing anything with my students on this. So now, I mean, I mean, first of all, I'm not going to do those songs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I am looking for authentic songs, I'm going to make sure I know what tribe they come from. I'm going to contact culture bearers. Um, and really there's so much, I mean, that that is allowable to show students that's shareable on YouTube. I've shown students, you know, some of these large powwow gatherings of various tribes that are, that are, you know, public and are allowed to be seen, not sacred. Um, And so I think that to me is going to be the best way to go about it for now until I learn more authentic songs that have been passed to me by culture bears. Well, and then also to um, just not just, but to listen to the music and to watch videos like you were saying, that might be the extent of it. I don't know. I mean, I think everything is relative, but we are not, uh, it's not appropriate for us as white American women to do much of that music. Right. right? Yeah. yeah. 
totally. Um, so then to bring it back to kind of this Kodai lens, as far as my syncopa concept plan, I mean, that was two songs that I pulled from that concept plan and went, okay, I need to find some replacements. So, um, oh my gosh, I am blanking on the song. What's the one? Oh, Hill and Gully Rider. There we go. Hill and Gully. I mean, a song that I have in my collection. Um, oh my gosh, I don't have it in front of me. It's, it's, is it Jamaican, Tanya? Now all of a sudden I'm spacing. Yes. Okay, thank you. Um, mm -hmm. And we'll provide either a link to it somewhere or I'll put the notation on there with, with the source that I, I have it from. Um, but it, that's a really great song for the Cinco Pa and the students really enjoy it. And I was able to add some ostinati and do all the pedagogical things that I, that I did with the other songs that I removed. I, that was an easy replacement for me. Awesome. Thank you. So now it is time for our CODA section, where we each give a personal or professional recommendation, something we have been enjoying, and Tanya's going to go first. All right. I'm actually going to talk about music that I've been listening to, because, um, hey, that's, that's good to listen to music, of course. Uh, I just feel like so much of my summer has been listening to a lot of podcasts and reading reading, 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 and, and all of this. And over the past few weeks, or past two weeks, really, I've been mostly listening to music again more. All right? I just, you know, it ebbs and flows. You need to put in those times where you're having more music in your life, of course. Uh, so there's an album that came out in April 2020, if you know who Fiona Apple is. Oh, my um, gosh. Fiona Apple was like everything to me in the 90s well her latest album fetch the bolt cutters nice. is is amazing and it's very raw and it's very unconventional percussion sounds going on and she did it in her home studio lots of different things that she's using to like create these just very raw masterpieces of, of just oh, it's just you got to listen to it. It's kind of blowing. And um, on repeat listens, it still gives and gives and gives. So uh, it's not one of those um, lying around on the beach listens. It's really kind of a, a personal introspective. It's Fiona Apple. Come on. You know, there you go. It's Fiona Apple. And it's brilliant. And um, it's going to be like album of the year because, because it's, it's awesome. That's, I can't really, I, I'm, I sound so unintelligent. That's what I have to say. It's brilliant. It's awesome. Just go listen to it. Fiona Apple, fetch the bolt cutters. Um, there you go. I mean, and I, <laughs> thank you. I knew that she had a new album that had come out recently or how, did you say how long ago did it come out? It came out um, at the end of April. Okay. Yeah. I had heard that it was out and I don't know why I haven't listened to it yet. And now I'm super excited. I mean, she was seriously like top top five one of my faves I mean it's still I mean I still enjoy her as a musician but well yeah if I could tie it to our social emotional learning it helps me with my anger feelings <laughs> <laughs> totally yeah okay and you Carrie I feel my teenage angst bubbling up just thinking oh I'm forget sorry. teenage angst just like angst angst yeah Adult mm -hmm. angst. Okay. All right. So then when you're feeling your adult angst and you need to, <laughs> to keep it in check, I want to bring it back to uh, Dr. Scott Edgar in SEL one more time. So um, our colleague, Lindsay Gardner, who actually is a, a secondary band teacher in our district here in Colorado. Because we have the best music teachers in our district. Apparently, I mean, rocking it with all these podcasts, right? She has a podcast called Leading Band Through COVID Land. We've actually recommended that podcast before, but I want to specifically call attention to episode six, which was, I mean, how funny we, we had spoken to her, I mean, on, on the side about podcasting in general and did not know that she was interviewing um, Scott Edgar and the, the connection to our book club, total coincidence, but she did interview Dr. Scott Edgar. The episode is entitled SEL and re-envisioning music with our students. Now, this definitely is for 
the band mindset because this is specifically who her podcast is aimed for. However, I did listen to it and I still enjoyed it, especially within the context of reading the book. Um, and both, I mean, Tanya, you and I have said we noticed with the webinar and I noticed with listening. I just really enjoy hearing Dr. Edgar speak. He's a very good speaker. So I've He's very passionate about, you know, he he's he's given it to you and he's got some firm, he's very affirmative and all the things and it makes you really riled up to like go out there, do all of the social emotional learning. Yes. Oh yeah. Even as an elementary music teacher, I think that particular episode on leading band through COVID land episode six is worth listening to. And we'll link it. Yep. We've reached the double bar line. Thank you for listening to Music Teacher Coffee Talk. Show notes can be found at musicteachercoffeetalkpodcast.com. You can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Just look for Music Teacher Coffee Talk. If you enjoyed this show, please consider subscribing, rating, and leaving us a review on iTunes to help others find this podcast. In our next episode, we'll be discussing preparation for the unexpected starting this school year. Until next time, this is Tanya. And this is Carrie wishing you happy musicking.